Well, God bless you and welcome to Nets 3. This is Stewards of the Mysteries of God. And today we're going to get into the subjects of bond servants and judging ourselves. We've come a long way together since Nets 1, but we still understand that true spiritual authority is derived by our willingness and our ability to abide in the Lord. In reality, all Christianity centers around our ability to abide in the Lord in our everyday life, in the things that we do, and in the places we go. And if we're faithful in this, we prove ourselves as stewards. To be faithful as stewards in His Word is not automatic. We don't automatically become a steward when we become a believer. But we must, through discipline, become a disciple. And then in time, through faithfulness, we can show ourselves faithful to Him as a trusted servant, one who can be given authority in His household. We're going to learn more of what it means to be a steward and what we need to do to come into a place of stewardship in His kingdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And a number of translations use the Greek word, spude, study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. And that word does mean be diligent with your time as you work, and we want to do that. And the point is to be approved of God, a worker, rightly dividing the word of truth, that we should get it right, but it's not only getting it right on the paper, but getting it right in application in our lives. If we're only getting it right on the paper, we could be like the Pharisees. But if we never get it right on the paper, then we're, we're not being proper stewards of the Word because it is a living Word and it brings us closer to the living Word, Jesus Christ. We need to look at Scripture in light of application for today. We need to learn how to apply the Old Testament Scriptures and the Gospel teachings to the church age in which we're in. The first century church was able to do this. What they had in order to establish the early church was the Old Testament Scriptures. And they were able, by the teachings of the Holy Spirit and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, working through the leadership that they had then and the Holy Spirit with the gifts that the Lord had given after He ascended up on high, they were able to apply the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Old Testament prophets and they were able to walk in power and grace and bring a manifestation of the kingdom of God to earth. They were a first century church, and we again are a first century church. And we can again, I believe, walk in the same power that they had and that they walked in if we will again also look to the living word and understand it, be rightly dividing it and rightly applying it as workmen that will be diligent to apply and to live. It's been said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And it's the Holy Spirit which is our helper to reveal these things, to translate and apply the Old Testament into our present day. Jesus is the standard by which everything must be judged, but it's the Spirit which has come to help us bring everything to Christ in order to understand all the Old Testament as well as the New all things are fulfilled in Christ. Now, we can only be ambassadors for the kingdom if we are citizens in the kingdom first. 
we know that discipleship is the process of becoming citizens in His kingdom. And the purpose of the church age is training for reigning. We are presently in the process of being raised up by the Lord as we submit ourselves to Him, as we are workmen, as we're learning of Him. We are being prepared today for a life tomorrow and many things which we have not even understood and things which have not been revealed about tomorrow. And yet by obedience, we are being trained and prepared for that day. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, which is instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, also translated perfect, truly equipped to every good work, that the man of God would be completely, perfectly equipped for every single good work that we would uh, come across. For every situation, we would know what to do. It's by the Word of God that's been inspired that brings us the doctrine, reproof, and correction. It's the doctrine, what we need to believe rightly, the reproof which comes to help us get back on track when we begin to get off track, and the correction that tells us what we need to do in order to correct our actions when we've gotten off track. In light of the seven church epistles, in the canon, they've always been listed categorically and not chronologically. And even in ancient manuscripts, where various books of the New Testament may have been listed in different order, and the Gospels even came in different order and were listed in different order from time to time, the books of the New Testament even today are not listed in chronological order, but the seven church epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote have always been found to be in the order in which we find them, in a canological order. And there's a reason for this, because they're categorized in light of order of doctrine, reproof, and correction. You'll see the book of Romans deals primarily with doctrine, the foundational beliefs of Christianity. And from that we go to First and Second Corinthians, which is reproof to the church from where they've gotten off of those foundational doctrines. Then we come to the book of Galatians, which is correction, where the church had gotten off and needs to be corrected now to get back to the foundational beliefs. Then we come to Ephesians, which is, again, foundational beliefs at a higher level than what we saw in Romans. But nevertheless, foundational doctrine, how to believe rightly. Then we come to Philippians, which is reproof for having gotten off track of the doctrine which is listed in Ephesians. And then we come to Colossians, which is correction, which helps us get back to the right believing which has been given to us in Ephesians. Then we come to First and Second Thessalonians. Again, doctrine, right believing to the church. Even though First and Second Thessalonians were the first of the church epistles to be written, they're always listed last. Now, there's a reason for that. I believe the Spirit had them put last in the order in which we received them, even though they were written first, because they are foundational doctrines concerning the coming of the Lord and the gathering of the church together with Him. And at that time, we will no longer need reproof or correction because we will have our resurrected bodies and there will be a great change. So that 
revelation had to be given to the church first so they would have hope and understanding. And yet it's listed laugh because there are no companion books of reproof or correction because no reproof or correction is necessary after the resurrection. We needed to discipline our lives to the rules of the kingdom and we need to understand that we're called to assist the Lord in bringing the kingdom to earth as He prayed. There's a day coming, we know, when He will reign upon the earth. But until then, He extends His reign to the earth through us. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, we read, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This was a prophecy concerning that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to one day have a kingdom which was set up that would take the place of all the kingdoms of the earth and it would eventually encompass the world. That His authority would be exercised throughout the world and no kingdom could stand against it. Even today, we see that Christianity is within every earthly kingdom, but the kingdom of God is being spread throughout the earth until that day when he physically and bodily sets up his kingdom, he is seeing it done through his people. In our country here, our forefathers, we had a, a godly bunch of men who came together truly with the idea that the kingdom of God could be put in place on earth through their actions. They honestly thought that the government which they were birthing could actually prepare the way for the kingdom of God by actually emulating the rules which they saw in Scripture. We're very fortunate for that. And that although it is not the kingdom, and they did not set up the kingdom of God upon earth, nevertheless, they were able to set up kingdom principles for which we can be very grateful for, because with kingdom principles comes kingdom blessings. The ultimate calling that each of us has is that we would be like Him and to do His works and greater works than He did because He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we all have room to grow. And we are being prepared to be stewards of the mysteries of God. When Jesus spent time with His apostles and His disciples, He many times would speak to them things that were deeper, that they could understand. He would disclose things to them that He didn't with the greater populace. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, it says, And he answered to them and said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whosoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We have to learn of the kingdom and its rules and its responsibilities that come with citizenship. When we have immigrants that come to our country, we require them before they can attain citizenship to learn certain aspects of our history and our government and our society. It's interesting that after having come and paid a price for citizenship and learning about the citizenship, actually many of them are at a higher level of understanding and ability to function within the society than some of those that have been born within this kingdom, so to speak, this society, this nation. I'm sure that would probably be the same in most countries. And it certainly is in the kingdom of God. 
in that we all are born into the kingdom in that sense. But being born into the kingdom doesn't automatically give us full rights to our citizenship. We need to learn the rules and we need to apply the regulations that are in the kingdom of God and we will then raise up into full citizenship within that kingdom. We understand that in the kingdom of God, we are born into the family, but then there is an adoption that comes through faithfulness. And that's like entering into a higher level of citizenship. When we come to the place of adoption where we might cry out, Abba, Father, we enter into a place where we actually are now coming into a closeness that allows us to release even more of the blessings from heaven and more of the blessings come to us from the Father. We know that only those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ receive the gift of Holy Spirit. But just because we've received the gift of Holy Spirit does not indicate whether we are willing to learn to walk with that Holy Spirit and manifest that Holy Spirit. But it's the process of learning to manifest the gift which we've been given and do it according to His directives that brings us to a place of citizenship in manifestation and all the blessings that come. In Mark chapter 4, verse 11, And He said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Because Jesus wanted people to commit to understand the deep secrets that came from heaven. He didn't want them to just come easy. He wanted them to be available, but He wanted people to understand when you commit, when you're willing to pay a price, then you're able to receive something. Because according to what we're willing to give for something is the price that we put upon it. What are we willing to give for the manifestation of His gifts? He freely gives, but it will truly cost us everything to manifest it. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And we've looked at that before. But it's important for us to look at it now in light of this understanding. There is a time that we're in, a time of the Gentiles. The kingdom of heaven is being made available to all of us. God has not broken His covenant, nor has He forgotten His covenant with Israel. But when Jesus was saying this to His apostles and to His disciples, that to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it hasn't been. He was making a different category between those who were committed and those who were not. And the blindness which is described here came upon them because of lack of belief and lack of commitment to understand what was made available to those people. They were the people of God. Just like today, there are many people who are the people of God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've not come to a place of understanding the, the mysteries because they've not been willing to follow after them until they could understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus would say. Because it was available to those who wanted it, but it was not going to come to them. They had to press in. The disciples, the stewards, the, those were given to know. 
In Romans chapter 11, verse 7, What then has Israel not obtained what it seeks? But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. Now keep in mind what we've taught you on the Hebrew idiom. Okay, It was by their choice that they were put in a position where they could not see clearly, where they could not hear clearly. He was quoting here from Isaiah 29.10, referring to the prophets of old, that they had not believed the prophecies about Christ, and therefore they were blinded when it came to Him. They could look right at Him and still not understand. Jesus could say to them, You search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and yet it's they that testify of Me. And you don't know Me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. When we want that doctrine, reproof, and correction, we come to the Word of God, whether it be the new, whether it be the old. We want to be workmen that can rightly divide the Word of truth. But we'll never rightly divide it if we try to understand it outside of anything but Jesus Christ. Because He is the Word, and He is what makes our Word a living Word. The Word makes known to us Christ, and yet He, by His Spirit, makes known to us the Word. They cannot understand, even to this day, the prophecies in their own Scriptures, because it can't be understood outside of Christ, the Messiah. You know, even for us, many times when we can't understand things, the veil is taken away in Christ. I can't tell you how many times I have searched the Scriptures or read parables and didn't understand. Sometimes years would go by, <laughs> and I would wonder, and I would think, and I would study. But until I asked, <laughs> maybe you've done that too, we need to ask because the veil can be lifted in Christ. He wants us to come to Him for everything. He wants everything that we do to be centered around relationship with Him because authority comes through abiding in Him. But it's more than just authority that comes. Our life comes from abiding in Him. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26, we read, Now to Him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, and now has been made manifest by the prophetic scriptures, and has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. The Apostle Paul was able to say this was his gospel, because he had received it of the Lord, and he had paid a price to make it his own. He understood it to the point that it gave light to his soul. Now other apostles and prophets had also received this revelation. But he could clearly say that it was his gospel. And this gospel was a revelation of the mystery. And he was giving it and explaining it to those who are willing to be obedient to the faith. You see, if we pay a price, we can receive those mysteries. We can receive those 
special things from heaven to be manifested upon earth. It will become our gospel, and it comes to those who are obedient and faithful. It's interesting that he says, now unto him who is able to establish you, because these things that come from heaven will establish the church. Regardless of whether everyone becomes a steward, those who have received them as their gospel, those who have received them and are now stewards of those mysteries, when they release those, even though they are only received by those and understood by those who are faithful and obedient, nevertheless, the whole church can be established by those present truths. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 4 and we'll read through verse 10. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages to our glory. We who are mature, it says, are receiving it. We're receiving the wisdom, things which God has hidden even before Adam was placed on the earth. God prepared things for the kingdom, which he is now releasing to those who are being matured. We know when we are born into the kingdom, we are not mature automatically. The spirit that's placed within us has all the potential of Christ, but we have not manifested it. We have not grown up into it. We have not become fully obedient. We have to become mature. And as we become mature children, we begin to manifest those bits of hidden wisdom which God reveals to us. Secrets and mysteries. They've been ordained for our glory. Someone's got to get them. Someone's got to bring them and manifest them. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. Verse 8 which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. He was quoting from Isaiah 64, 4 and 65, 17. He understood the Old Testament Scriptures and how they applied to New Testament living. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You see, God has mysteries. And He needs mature men and women to give those secrets to. There's a number of reasons for that. One is so that we'll be able to understand, we'll be able to receive it. But also, we have to have been proven as obedient. Because as the old saying is, loose lips sink ships. If we receive a mystery, but we don't, do with it what the Lord would have us do with it, we could do damage because there's authority that comes from heaven when the Lord releases His glory. You know, there's some examples that I like to give. In our pastoral association, we've had uh, various discussions. And uh, one of the discussions recently that came up was about uh, individuals in the congregation who feel that they're not being fed on Sundays by their pastors. And in the discussion, we, we looked at it from different angles. And I've come to the conclusion that I really believe there are those that are fed 
and there are those that are not being fed at the same meeting under the same leader at the same time. Why is it that one person can sit there and receive and be fed and the other one can receive and not feel like they received anything? Well, I think part of it is, are they feeding themselves during the week? Or are they expecting everything to come in one meal? Because I believe those that only eat once a week are showing a lack of hunger. And their spiritual stomach shrinks, so to speak. And so when they get fed once a week, they're trying to absorb all the nourishment that their spirit needs at one time, and they can't do it. It's not possible. And so they say, well, I'm not being fed by that minister. And technically that's true, but it's not that minister's fault because he has brought the Word of God. Others have fed upon it and received great nourishment. Then there are those that don't think they ever need to come together and gather with the saints. They feel like they never need to come and receive from anyone else. They're also missing out because the Bible clearly tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But what is it? Where is the balance? And I got to thinking about it. Really, if we come together as a family a few times a week, that's a blessing and it's a wonderful time. That's a time when the food is prepared in a certain way, a little different than what we would do on a daily basis. And the table is laid out for us so nicely. And we get out the best plates and the best silver. And we prepare a nice meal, not only that the food is nourishing, but that the whole setup has been prepared. We don't have time individually for that every meal, but a couple times a week. We should be able to gather with the family, have something very special prepared, and delivered to us that we could consume and receive and be fed by. But if you're expecting all of your nourishment for the whole week, or for some people even a longer period of time, you're not going to be able to receive all that you need. If you never partake of that type of a meal with the family, you're really missing out because there's something that happens in the fellowship as well as in the presentation that just makes that food taste better. You receive it in such a different way than if you were to just take that turkey, let's say, and just take it out of the refrigerator and cut a piece off. But those that are willing to do throughout the week what they should do for themselves and their family, to study the Word of God, to be workers of the Word, to be diligent with that, not only will they be fed throughout the week, but they'll be strengthened when they come together and they will be able to give to others, not only those that are less mature, but to others also that are seeing some of the same things or that the Lord is sharing some of the same things with, we begin to have iron sharpening iron. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, Moreover, it is required that one be found faithful. This is the one requirement it says in Scripture for a steward is that they be found faithful. And we obviously know within that faithfulness, there's obedience. Within that faithfulness, there's maturity. But we will never prove our obedience. We will never become mature unless we're willing to be faithful. That means to stick with it. 
Whether it goes up or down, whether it's a good day or a bad day, are you willing to press in in those times when it seems like God doesn't hear your prayers, when it seems like heaven is like brass, when it seems like you're doing what the Word of God says you should do, but you're not receiving the benefits that you think should be coming? Are you still willing to press in? Do you have the heart of an overcomer? That's what God's looking for in a steward. Someone that is faithful, that sticks with it, that doesn't run to another God, doesn't run to another place for His help, but continues to seek the Lord like David, continues to seek after the Lord like our Lord Jesus did, to press in until we break through. That's the faithfulness that God's looking for in a steward so that He can reveal mysteries to us. Stewardship has to do with rewards through a free man's decision to become a bond slave or a doulos is the Greek word. A bond servant is one who has served faithfully and proven his faithfulness and his steadfastness and has been released by the master and chosen to come back and continue to serve. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, we read, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He said, look, here's the character that I have of a servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And I have a calling and a gifting of an apostle. And I have been released and commissioned to preach the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ. In James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1 Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. In each of those examples, and there's many others that you could look up for yourself, the apostles are saying, look, first and foremost, we have been faithful, we have been servants, and we have been proven to stand by our master. A bond servant is a trusted steward. A servant is not necessarily a steward, but a faithful servant can become a steward. A steward is one who can be left in charge of the household. A steward is one who can be given the keys to the house. What does a bondservant look like? Look in Philippians chapter 2. We'll read verses 5 through 9. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He was in the form of God, but he became in the form of a bondservant. He chose that. He was found as a man, but he humbled himself. Through that humility, he proved his obedience. And because of his obedience, he was exalted and given a name which is above every name. You know, Jesus could have set up his kingdom on earth. There were many people that expected him to. 
Most of those that believed in Him thought that He would. Those of us that believe in Him now know that He will. But He didn't at the time He was here on earth. Instead, He chose to manifest His kingship as a servant. Not as a lord over the heritage, but as a bondservant and one who manifested the love of God upon the earth. By doing this, I believe he really showed forth his assurity of his authority. You know, it reminds me of the story of George Washington, the commander of the Continental Army and the first president of the United States and the father of our country. But during that transition period between the war and the setting up of a permanent government, there were many that wanted to make George Washington king of the United States of America. And when one of the leaders in Great Britain was speaking to King George, who had just released the colonies, and was explained to him that the kingship had been offered to George Washington, but that he had turned it down. And King George could not believe it. His statement was, if he does that, he'll be the greatest man on earth. Yet that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He became a bondservant. Took on the form of a bondservant. Showed forth his kingly and regal authority by servanthood. Not by taking authority over people, but by exercising authority over the powers of darkness. In Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We each get to try both. We get to choose which one comes first and which one will last for eternity. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Who is the bondservant of Christ endeavoring to serve? Whom is a bondservant of Jesus Christ endeavoring to please? Christ. The fear of man causes a snare. If we try to please men and please God, we're going to stumble. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. A bondservant is one who fears God and chooses to obey Him regardless of the acceptance that men give or do not give. As I've said before, accusations will come. Our job is to be sure that they're groundless. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we'll read through 16. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness to His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in a day of visitation. 
Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, as for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. We are a chosen people to be separate yet within the nations of the Gentiles. We are a nation of people made up of many nations. We saw in that prophecy in Daniel that that kingship was going to go to all the nations. We saw in the prophecy that the Apostle Paul said that the great mystery was going to all the nations. But we are a nation within all these nations. We should follow the rules as they're intended to do good, but we also should intend to do good and show forth, even against accusations which are false, the goodness of God, convincing them and showing that we are bondservants of God, willing to follow His rules upon the earth. It's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. Once the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't need to understand in order to obey. You only need to obey. Those who wait to understand before obedience will watch while others go forward and receive the rewards of victory. Understanding will come as you obey. A bondservant obeys and then understands. It's not required that a steward understands. There is the spirit of understanding that the Lord gives us, but it comes through obedience. Obedience is required. Faithfulness is required. This reminds me one time when I was at a, a ministry retreat, and uh, it was a quite a remarkable night where the spirit of the Lord was really stirred up in prophecy. And I'd received a number of words from the Lord through various prophetic ministries, and I was really full and thinking and meditating upon what I'd received. And as I went back to go to my own room, a man chased me down the hallway. <laughs> and he chased me down and he said, Sir, sir. And we hadn't met before. But he said, Sir, when you walk past me, the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord showed him certain things which to him confirmed that I had been a faithful servant to go where the Lord had sent me. And now I was going back and the Lord was opening up a new avenue of choice. And he quoted to me Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5, which says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. Now, I've received that word. A number of times, actually, even other ministers in my own hometown have prayed that over me, that they felt that the Lord gave that to them. And I received it. It's a wonderful blessing. But I had never had seen it in light of how he was bringing it, in light of bondservant. He's opened my ears. He's wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. What does that mean in light of stewardship? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, we can read about a bondservant. 
and what was written in the Old Testament to explain to us this concept. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. Six represents man. It represents work. Even God worked for six days, and on the seventh he rested. So when someone would come into servanthood, they would serve for six years, but then they would be let free. Even in our history, in this country, there were indentured servants that would sign up to serve a particular master for a certain number of years in exchange for payment to come to this country from another nation. Many people arrived that way. And then they would come and, and serve for a certain number of years to pay back that master. But a bond servant is one who at the end of that time, after having been set free, says, hey, this master has been good to me. I want to serve him more. So I'm going to stay. And here's what it says in verse 16. If that happens, that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. So also to your female servant shall you do likewise. Take an awl, pierce his ear to the door, Jesus always being the door, that we are joined to Jesus and our ears are opened upon the door. That by faithfulness, we come to a place where our ears are open and we're able to receive greater understanding. He wakens us morning by morning. He opens our ears to hear. And he explained this to me and then he, he continued in the prophetic word that he had. He said, this is a Hebrew servant who has served the master for six years faithfully and he could go out free or he could stay and serve the master. Then he would be taken to the door and have his ear pierced. So the Lord is saying, that's the place you're at. Six is the number of works. That's not a literal number here, but rather it's the number of works. So you've been serving the Lord, and so the Lord is giving you a choice. You can go out free, or you can decide, I want my master, which is Jesus, and you will be able to hear him. This is a doulos, a bondservant. It could be a time given to you to serve with or under another minister, and the time allotted is about up. But the time could be extended and decide to stay, but permission is granted to leave. He said, the Lord is saying something about your hearing. He quoted Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, which says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. He continued and said, This was also quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. But the words were changed to a body you have given or prepared for me. Meaning the body of Christ through hearing and becoming a bondservant, being committed and serving the Lord as a bond slave, he will give you to serve the body of Christ. It's interesting because I was coming to an end of a commitment with a particular minister that I had come under to help him and to serve him and to see him being raised up into his kingdom authority and his kingdom calling. And at this time, I was considering what to do. And because of this, I continued that relationship. And that relationship has continued to this day. Not in the sense of being in the same ministry, 
but being in the same kingdom and serving the Lord as a steward, I became a bondservant in that situation and it made for greater blessings in the body of Christ and even greater blessings for me to receive of the Lord to give to the body. There was a time when I was ministering in a particular meeting. It happened to be a church with a very long sanctuary, tables, and there was a lot of food available and drinks and so on and so forth. I was way up front speaking, and there's a prophetic intercessor that I know that's quite prophetic, and you think, well, prophetic intercessor, what would that person be doing in the conference? Well, they'd be prophesying, right? No, she was serving in the kitchen so that all the people that had come in for this conference could be blessed. And yet, in that place of servanthood, God was continually speaking to her, and she was continually bringing words to bless people. And she came up to me after one of the sessions, and she said, I was way back there, and I looked, and I thought you had a silver earring. What he was saying was, this is a bond servant. This is a man that I've taken and pierced his ear. I've bored his ear to the door. He's a faithful servant. Now I'm giving him to serve in the body of Christ. Silver speaks of redemption, but that earring speaks of bond servanthood. The Lord was confirming stewardship in the kingdom. What a blessing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 16, 15, where it talks about the house of Stephanus, which has addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I really feel like that. I feel like if I cannot minister to God's people, I'm going to go through withdrawals. I'm addicted to serving God's people. Now, in that addiction, I have to keep my mind upon the Lord. And I have to understand I'm serving Him by serving the people and not allow the people to become my God, but to continue to serve them because they are the body of Christ. And to do that, to have such a hunger to do that, has shown that I'm addicted to serving like the household of Stephanus was. 1 Corinthians 9.17 For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. If I don't do it according to my will and according to His rules, we'll have no reward. God is going to test us from time to time on our obedience to see if we are allowing our gifts through which we serve, if we become addicted to the gifts rather than addicted to Him and serving Him by serving His people. We have to watch those things. (laughs) If we will be addicted to serving Him by obeying Him to serve His people, then our gifts will become secondary and He will be able to utilize them even the more. If we will submit our will to Him and submit our actions to His rulings, then we'll have a reward. Verse 18, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Similar to what Jesus did. Not that he would come in abuse of authority, but through strong authority, he became a servant. And the Apostle Paul emulated Jesus Christ. A bond servant can be trusted to use his judgment. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says he doesn't even judge himself, but the Lord judges. So as we are stewards of the Lord, we are listening to Him. We're receiving His judgment so we can see what He says about situations. We can take a look at stewardship in uh, the parable that's listed in Luke chapter 12, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household and give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Verse 48. Pick it up in the middle. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. We need to understand. As we receive more of the Lord, he will require more from us. We have got to be faithful and true. If we are now, He will make us ruler over much. Not only now, but later. Character is what we are. Reputation is what people know about us. Character is made up of what we do when no one is watching. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus said to the apostle Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom because he had proven himself as a steward. The Lord will give keys to those who are proven that they can handle the keys. A bondservant can be trusted to use judgment on his master's behalf. We've got to learn to judge for ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before its time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. The context of this is the Bema, or the Lord's judgment at His coming. This is a context of rewards and payment or punishment for the deeds which have been done in the body. You remember the parable of the servant and the talents in Matthew 25? That those that were faithful and brought back to the Lord more, according to what He had given them, were rewarded. And the one that buried his talent and didn't bring anything more to the Lord was punished. We have to understand as stewards that there's a difference between judging matters which are things and not people. We need to judge situations, but we need not to criticize people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Not people, matters. Verse 3, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. 
Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? Now he's saying here, there are certain things. When it comes to the people, God is the judge. And we're all going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for the deeds that we do. But for issues that come up, for situations, for matters, we should be able to judge as stewards of God. In verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's talking about inheritance here, not salvation. Those who are saved can do these things and still not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, And such were some of you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, some of them still are. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not have an excuse or a license for sin. A bondservant will not allow his liberty to be used as a license. He has been given liberty. He has been released. Just as the Lord gives us freely our salvation and releases us to do with it, yet the bondservant is the one that says time and time again, I will not use this freedom for a license, but I will take this liberty and use it to serve the Lord. We'll come back there in a minute, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 through 33, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's been said that the first bride was in a perfect environment and chose to sin. And the second bride is in an imperfect environment and chooses to obey. We have got to judge situations so that we can make the right choices. And as we become stewards in the kingdom, we show that we're willing to use our judgment to judge things according to His rules and regulations from His kingdom and apply them to our situation in this earth to have results that are kingdom results. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, it says, Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? You judge this matter. You judge this situation. He's not saying judge this particular person. He's saying, let's discuss this situation. Verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Now, we can take this situation that the apostle is speaking of as an example, trying to explain to them how they can judge matters. And he uses nature as an example. Now, nature can be used as an example, but never as a final authority. The final authority always has to be Scripture. When I was younger, I had some relatives who believed that my hair was too long. Now, I guarantee you, it was not very long. However, 
according to their standards, they judged that I was breaking the Word of God by having hair which was too long. My hair today is not any shorter than it was then. And they were using that to judge me. However, they never continued to read what the apostle spoke there when he said about this situation. If anyone is contentious, we don't have any such laws about men's hair in the kingdom of God. The point he was trying to make is that we should be able to judge. We should be able to come together and take matters and understand them and judge according to what God would have us to judge. Scripture gives us the final directive. In nature, man is from woman. In Scripture, woman is from man. So we can use nature as an example, but the final authority comes from heaven. Now it says, for man is not from the woman, but woman from the man in 1 Corinthians 11.8. In Ephesians chapter 5, we saw that the two shall become one flesh. Now the context there was talking about marriage, but then he said, I speak concerning Christ and His church. The church is now in a position to choose to obey. When we choose to obey, we as the bride are coming back to the man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. What was raised up? Jesus was raised up in bodily form, given a new body, a glorious body. And in that glorious body, He was judged and given a name which is above all names. And He was given authority in heaven and earth. We also look forward to that day when we will be raised up in Christ, when we will have our new bodies, and we will have the fruit of the judgment of what we have done on the earth. In the meantime, we are called to be stewards, that we are serving the Lord, that we are going forward, obeying Him, having earned the right to receive the keys to the kingdom. What we bind on earth is bound in heaven. What we loose on earth is loosed in heaven in His name, by His authority, because we are stewards of Him. What was raised up? It was Jesus raised into a new body. What will be raised up? We will be raised up in Him. We are raised up now in the Spirit, but we will be raised up and be given a glorious body like unto His glorious body. In the meantime, as we show our stewardship, we are being joined more and more with Him, and we're able to manifest that unity and oneness that comes with being one with Christ.